You're listening Thank to you Sermon Audio for Sermon Audio Community Church Community Church here in Gresham, For more information about information about ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net.cc. And thanks for joining us. Praise you as the one true God, as the God who loves us, as the God who seeks us and pursues us, as the God who wants us to know you. Lord, thank you for how we're already experiencing your work, the work of your spirit here, and we welcome you. We pray that you will do your work in our lives and in our hearts, that you'll make us into the community and the people that you're calling us to be. We love you. We sing hallelujah hallelujah to you because you are the only one who is worthy of our worship. And we declare this in your name. Amen. And you may be seated. And once again, Good morning to those of you who are um, joining us online as family and friends. And if you're listening to this as a recording sometime down the road or watching it as a recording or seeing it now as a live stream, we're really glad that you're with us. And of course, welcome to all of you here in the room as well. Here at Grace, we're about loving God, loving people, reaching people, and developing people. And one of the ways that we do that is through this, is through gathering together for corporate worship. And in talking with a number of you this morning, after coming out of COVID this last year and a half, I don't think any of us, if we ever did, will ever take being together as a community for granted ever again. It's just so rich to worship together and to be together. And so with that in mind, we do want to call your attention to something that is coming our collective way this next month in August, and that is, if you haven't heard already, the first three weeks of August, we're going to be worshiping outside. Yes, we are people of great faith. It's not going to rain in August. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to consolidate our services those three mornings into one service. We are going to be together because our field can accommodate all of us. So the service time for the first three weeks of August, lock this away, will be 945. And with that, when you come to those services, if you're able to come in person, um, please bring a chair. If you want shade, please bring that. Um, we'll talk about parking as we get a little closer to that because we're probably going to run out of parking with what we're anticipating in that response. But we're so looking forward to it. And this is the commitment that we'll make to you. If it looks like the forecast is going to change, we will make a call on Friday and we will send out in our weekly email update as well as on our website information letting you know, hey, we're going to be inside for that Sunday at 945 and we'll all cram in here and we'll have some overflow rooms and we'll make it work. But we're planning on being outside the first three Sundays of August. So we hope that you'll get to join us. It's going to be epic. I cannot wait. So with that being said, we also want to remind you that today we are going to be baptizing anyone who wants to get baptized. And we have great news for you. You may have come today not being prepared to get baptized, and we're going to remove every excuse with that. We have clothes for you to wear. We have warm water behind me. We have one of our pastors who would love to baptize you. So if you came today, you love the Lord Jesus, but you've never been baptized, we would love to baptize you later on in the service. So you be thinking about that, and we'll make that happen. And for those of you who are watching this as a live stream, come on down here for the second service. We'll baptize you then as well. So that being said, it is VBS week. It is tomorrow. And we are very, very excited. And you've probably noticed from the decor around me, 
um, that we're getting ready for that. And if you don't have kids or grandkids, for those of you who are here in person, and you don't usually have an occasion to swing through the second floor, on your way out today, go upstairs and swing through the second floor and see how that's been decorated and prepared for Vacation Bible School. It just looks fantastic. Right now, we're anticipating about 270 to 300 kids that are already signed up. Um, online registration is closed, but you can still sign kids up tomorrow the morning of. But we especially want to encourage you to consider bringing your kids or grandkids or neighborhood kids to the evening session because we have lots more room there. Um, but again, we're just so very excited that we get to be a part of this. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that you're probably not accustomed to doing, and that's okay. But I'm going to ask if you have served, um, helped with decorations, are serving in any way, shape, or form this weekend, would you, would, this week rather, would you please stand up? And this isn't to call special attention to you, but we are in this as a community, and we are serving as a community. And if for whatever reason, you haven't made up your mind or you've wanted to wait till the last minute to serve, congratulations, you've done it. It is the last minute. It's here. But we still have room for you to be a crew leader as well as to be um, involved or engaged, and we'll make sure we get you trained between now and then. We have some folks ready to call and get you primed. Don't sit down yet. You guys stand back up. I see you. We want to pray God's blessing over those of you especially who are serving this week. So please join me in doing that. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we as a church really are doing this for our community and for our kids and grandkids. And Lord, we pray especially for those who are standing here, those who are standing or watching this at home, that um, you would empower them by your Spirit to um, love these kids, serve these kids, that the gospel would be so clearly proclaimed, not just in what we say, but in what we do and in how we live our lives this next week and invest into the lives of these kids. God, we pray for a powerful work of your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now you may be seated, and thank you. And so, with all that said, we are now going to dive into God's Word and continue on in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And as I was preparing for this passage that we're going to look at today, a passage that only occurs in the Gospel of Matthew, it's found in none of the other Gospels, I was reminded of um, something that I got to be a part of many, many years ago when I was in high school. I had a friend who owned a Christmas tree farm, and uh, in the late fall, gearing up for Christmas there, um, they needed to harvest their trees. And so he said, hey, do you want to take a day of school and, uh, and come out and work on my farm? And of course, I said, no. You know, I don't want to miss out on school. Of course, I said, yes. Ask my parents. They gave special blessing. I skipped school that day. Don't tell anyone. I think the statute of limitations has run out at my high school, so they can't put me in detention. But that being said, I got to skip school that day, and we got to work on this Christmas tree farm. And we started at dawn, and it was a huge farm. And we literally worked all day, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. But it was a lot of hard work, and it was a sunny day, believe it or not, in the late fall. And so we were sweating, and it was hard work, and we were really tired by the end of the day. But as the day was about the end, here was another friend of ours who, for whatever reason, wasn't able to come when we started. And so he came like an hour or two before we were supposed to knock off and be done for the day, and he shows up. And what my friend's dad had said is, I will pay you X amount for the day's work. And so he shows up. He's there maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours. I don't quite remember, but it wasn't very long. We're done. We eat dinner together. And then he pays all of us, and he pays this guy the same amount that he paid the rest of us who had worked the entire day. Now, how well do you think that went over? 
If that was you, how would you feel? Can all of us say that's not fair? Or at least it sure doesn't feel fair. Jesus is going to tell a very similar story. And in this story, he's not only going to help us understand more about what the kingdom of God is like, he's going to help us understand even more what the character of our God is like, and it's going to speak to your character and mine. This is a profoundly practical story. And with so many stories in God's Word, there are layers to this, and we're just going to mine a few of them. But There's a lot swimming around in this passage, and I'm really looking forward to going through it together. So let's get to it. This is Matthew chapter 20 as we start now into that chapter. We're going to pick up on the verse we ended with last week because this kind of bookends this story, and we're going to look at this together. So here we go. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And here comes the illustration of that reality. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, well, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. I bet we can all envision what they're saying. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So there's a lot swimming around in this passage. Let's begin to just work our way through it a little bit. So it talks about the kingdom of heaven. And whenever we see this, this is virtually synonymous with the kingdom of God. The two are kind of interchangeably. And short definition of that, there's a whole lot more layers to this, but the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's reign and rule. And God's kingdom has started with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The divine rescue mission to redeem and restore and renew and repair the world is in motion, but it will be fully completed when Jesus comes back a second time, rights all wrongs, restores shalom, things the way they were always intended to be, and the kingdom is fully here. But the kingdom is in motion, and it is here. It's just not fully here yet. And so this is giving a glimpse into it now, but also into our future. And it says in this story that the landowner goes out to hire workers in the vineyard. And this may sound a little weird, but this was actually a, a dynamic in that culture. Um, 
For many people, you didn't have a day job that you went to every day. You went to the market, and then employers, landowners, would come to the market and then would hire you for the day. And so that's why you were paid at the end of the day, so that you had money that day to feed your family. And that's how a lot of work worked in the first century. So this was a very normal thing for this to happen, and a denarius was a fair wage. That was what a Roman soldier or a worker received for the day. So all this is on the up and up. And it says that he went in that, that last verse we looked at early in the morning, and that really means about sunrise. So now, you know, sun's been up a handful of hours here, three or so hours. And so he goes, sees more workers standing in the marketplace, marketplace and this is very important. He tells them, he will pay them whatever is right. Now, if you're one of these workers, what does that mean to you? Well, to me, it would mean an honest day's wage for an honest day's work. I'm going to be paid proportionally to what I do and what I accomplish. But is that what happens? He goes and hires more guys or people at noon, goes and hires more at three, now hires some at five. Now, in the ancient Near East, from what we can determine and figure out culturally, the day, the workday started at sunrise and ended about six o'clock. So for him to hire someone in the afternoon is analogous to what happened with my friend on the Christmas tree farm. He's hired about an hour before the work ends. And so what does this begin to tell us about the character of our God. Well, for starters, He is profoundly generous. I mean, that's, that's an unmistakable reality that Jesus is trying to communicate in this story, is that God is, is generous, and we need to do some necessary business with that, because He is the gold standard of generosity. So let's think that through. Did He owe the workers anything in this? Did, was he obligated to hire them? No, he didn't have to hire them. Did he have to employ any of them? No, didn't have to employ any of them. Did he have to pay them? Well, no, not necessarily. But again, in order to, to be fair and generous, I guess he needed to. But, but the point is, no one's excluded in this story. What's missing from this story? Differentiation between the workers. All the workers are, are treated the same. And it's pretty remarkable. He doesn't owe them anything, yet he offers them work. And we begin to see in this story the incredible, generous heart of God. And for those of us who are his followers, that should be a distinctive of us. Someone should be able to look at your life and mine, how I use my time, how I use my money, how I invest into my relationships, whatever you want to put in the blank there, they should be able to look at our lives if we're Jesus followers and say, that's a generous person. They look just like their dad because our heavenly dad, our heavenly father is generous. But in our culture, that gets diluted. And our culture consistently teaches us, you be generous to people who can benefit you, who will thank you, who can somehow return the favor at some point. But you be generous when it works for you and when it benefits you. But what about being generous to those who you don't have to be, who you're not obligated to be generous to? When is the last time you were generous to someone who didn't deserve it? Ooh, now we're getting somewhere. 
because that's one of the main realities of this passage. God gives grace to the undeserving. He's the one who goes to the workers. He's the one who initiates with them. He's the one who gives them a job out of his goodwill, not because they've earned it. Does that sound like anyone's story? Isn't that your story? Isn't that my story? Does God owe any of us anything? And the answer is no. Who pursues who? God pursues you and me. And this is one of the many spiritual realities that differentiates Christianity, what the Bible teaches, from every other worldview and every other religion. Religion classically can be defined as someone trying to get to God somehow in some way, shape, or form. And Christianity, the Bible, turns that on its ear and says, you don't go looking for God. God comes looking for you. And it's not because you and I deserve it. Because we actually don't. It isn't about my resume that gets me into the kingdom of God. It's about His. We looked at this reality last week. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Is it ever good to be self-righteous? If you call someone self-righteous, is that a compliment? We intuitively get this. No, it's not. Someone who's self-righteous is arrogant and prideful and usually condescending. That's exactly the point. When you and I begin to get our hands around the reality that this God in His incredible grace comes to us, not because of our resume, but because of His. In fact, He sees all of our brokenness, all the times we will disappoint Him, all the times we will wrong Him, all the times we will say, screw you, and He still loves us and gives us a fresh start and wants to forgive us. There is no other worldview that teaches that reality, but it's reality, and it is the story of the gospel, and it is your story if you have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ and received Him into your life. So here we go. When is the last time you extended grace to someone who didn't deserve it? For me, it was this week. This week, actually, yesterday and the day before was basically an estate sale. We called it a garage sale, but we have been preparing this literally for months because my dad passed away, as many of you know, a year and a half ago. My dad was a a collector of many things. He had three of every single kind of tool ever invented. And so we have spent the last several months going through my mom's house and cleaning out the stuff she wants to part ways with and, and, and going through my dad's stuff. And, the, you know, there's a whole other story of the painful therapy that that's been. But that being, that being said, we've been gearing up for this for a long time, and it was a massive sale. There was a lot of stuff to sell. And long days. I've, I have put ruts into I-5 and I-405 and the Sunset Highway going over to the west side in the last several weeks, especially this week. I've been over there every night. And um, on one of my many trips over there, there are multiple places if you go from east to west and sometimes west to east where you're merging into a lane and there's this long line of traffic and everybody has to wait their turn, only everybody doesn't wait their turn. In fact, don't you love those people? And if you're one of these people, repent. 
<laughs> who goes all the way to the front of the line and then cuts right in front of you. And they don't ask, they force their way in, right? Okay, now we don't, won't name names here, but Mr. California plated car <laughs> pulls right in front of me, cuts me off, and of course, it's either get in an accident or let him in, so I very unwillingly let him in. And then later on in traffic, we're merging once again, and guess who wants me to let him in? Mr. California guy who cut me off. Did I feel like letting him in? Are you serious? No. <laughs> did I feel like accelerating a little bit? Yes. What did I do? I extended grace to someone who absolutely didn't deserve it, and I let him in willingly. Well, Spirit's still working on me with that part. <laughs> I'm obeying my way into obedience even when I don't feel like it. But he didn't deserve it. Now, that's, you know, a minor example. But again, it still begs the question, when is the last time you showed grace to someone who doesn't deserve it? And as hard as that is, you'll be glad to know it actually gets harder. God shows grace to everybody, but He shows more grace to some than others. My friends, that's one of the central truths of this passage, and we have to do business with it. Because we live in a culture that declares in no uncertain terms, everyone has to be treated exactly the same. That's how we define fair. And that's not necessarily true. God, because He's a generous God, sometimes shows more grace to some than He does others. And I know we're talking about rewards in this passage. That's the immediate context. But let's just think about that in terms of salvation. There is a profoundly impactful story that lurks within the crucifixion of Jesus. And many of you are familiar with it, but it's, it's an amazing story and an amazing reality. So when Jesus was crucified, oftentimes we refer to them as two thieves who were crucified on either side of him. They actually weren't thieves. And it's unfortunate that they've been labeled that way because, again, in first century Roman culture, especially, thievery was not a capital offense. You did not get put to death for stealing something. Only the lowest of the low and the most vile, violent people were crucified. And very deliberately so, to humiliate them, to shame them, and to torture them. And so those two thieves on the cross were actually two criminals. And more than likely, they were probably insurrectionists, which in our nomenclature today would be they were terrorists. They had probably killed people. At the very least, they were not good people. These were the lowest of the low. These were not people you wanted to invite over to your Super Bowl party or that you hoped move in next to you. And this who's being crucified with Jesus. And do you remember what the Gospel of Luke tells us in particular? One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal, and this is remarkable, rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
in that instant, this man crosses over from death to life, which is awesome. But we have to do business with all the layers that are involved with this. Should this guy get the same reward that someone who has followed and loved Jesus their entire life, has served him their entire life, gets? I mean, presumably, this was not a good guy. Probably never went to synagogue or what we would say church. Probably as irreligious as they come. Never baptized. We know that for a fact. And yet, this man may be sitting next to you or may be sitting next to me when Revelation 19 happens and we're at the wedding supper of the Lamb, which will be the most epic party you will ever go to in your life because the God who invented parties will be throwing one that some scholars believe will last a thousand years. And all of us who love Him and know Him will be gathered there to eat and celebrate and worship. And this guy will be there and he may be sitting next to you. How do you feel about that? Is that fair? Okay, well, let's take it a step further. Let's make this more personal. Who is it in your life, and I have people in my life, I bet we all do, who does not deserve the grace of God? Let's take that a step further. Who is someone in your life who has wronged you, betrayed you, somehow inflicted pain on your life? And if they repent, if they repent today, they will enter into the kingdom of God. And at the very least, they will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb as their reward. How do you feel about that? Boy, that's, that's tough stuff. That's, that's really hard. Well, let's look at this from another angle then. So, who was in the wrong in this story? Was the landowner? Well, let's test drive that. Did he employ all of them? Yes. Did he owe them work? No. Did he pay them what he said he would pay them? Yes. Was it fair? Mm, depends on how you define fair, right? Was it just? Well, yeah, it was just. He did say, he did do what he said he was going to do. Okay. Let's think about the workers. Were they in the wrong? Well, how did they respond? Well, they clearly declared to Jesus that he was not being fair. And this is something very unique to Matthew's gospel, and I think it's worth paying attention to. He responds to the complainer as friend. And this happens three times in the gospel of Matthew. And in every single instance, there's a common denominator in all three examples. One of them we looked at at Easter. When Judas betrays Jesus in Matthew 26, do you remember what Jesus says? Friend, do what you came here to do. In Matthew 22, which we'll get to in a handful of weeks here, Jesus tells this story of a parable at a wedding banquet, and there's a dude who is there who shouldn't be there. And basically what he's saying is, I don't need your invitation to be here. He's there on his own merit, on his own self-righteousness. And in the parable, the guy gets thrown out. And now this. In every single one of these examples, it is a last, gentle, final warning from God, or Jesus, rather, as one last way out for someone to repent. But it is a final warning. 
And this is a gentle warning to this guy. You need to repent. So when did things go off the rails for the workers? Well, it tells us, actually. When they began to grumble and when they were envious. Could they have respectfully asked the landowner, hey, this doesn't seem fair. Why? Explain to us why this is happening. Would that have been appropriate? Absolutely, it would have been. But instead of talking to the landowner, what did they do? They talked about him, and they grumbled. And there is a reason, Scripture says, do everything without grumbling or complaining, because what do we have a tendency to do? To grumble and complain in our brokenness. And it's not just that they were complaining, but they were envious. And again, when you and I begin to compare ourselves to others, that is the seed for envy. And it is, it is propagated, it is promoted, it is encouraged by our broken culture. There are so many wonderful dynamics to social media, but this is an unfortunate one. People are constantly comparing themselves to others and being envious. Gosh, I read an article recently that I was just stunned had to be written. And it was an article about retirees making sure that they don't watch and look at other retirees and what they're doing on social media because they'll bankrupt themselves trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to keep up with these people who go on all these luxury vacations and everything. It's like, isn't that common sense? But common sense isn't always common practice. And so we have this tendency to compare ourselves. So let's cut to the chase. How should they have responded? If not in this way, how, how should they? And again, the answer is lurking within the story. Shouldn't they have been grateful? A landowner who owed them nothing, who sought them out, gave them work, paid them exactly what he told them he would pay them, they had every reason to be thankful. And you see, thankfulness is the antidote to comparison and to grumbling. There's a reason God's Word says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks not for all things, but in all things, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Scripture never tells us to pretend life is better than it is, but it does tell us that we can be thankful. We can always find reason to be thankful. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as we prepare to respond in worship. Um, there's a friend that our family has, and I didn't get her permission to tell her story, so I'm going to change her name, but I'm still going to tell her story, and she'll figure it out, and I'll probably get in trouble, but it's worth it. But her name is Sue, and Sue and Jamie and I go back like 35, 40 years. She was a part of the church that we were at before we came to Grace many years ago, so we've known her for many, many years. She's seen our kids grow up, and one of the dynamics, one of the distinctives of Sue is that she is one of the most grateful, thankful people I've ever, ever met. We were with her when she fought her cancer journey for years, many years ago. Doctors did not give her much hope. And so as she was literally fighting for her life every day, she found ways to recognize God's work and to be thankful for God's work. And God, it doesn't always happen this way, and I, I realize that. Boy, I absolutely understand that. But in this instance, God chose to spare her life. And at the end of that, part of the journey. She had a two-page paper filled single space 
with God things that she had seen him do that she was thankful for across the breadth of that journey. And she walked that journey very authentically. And again, we need to make sure that we understand thankfulness isn't just saying, oh, let's look at the bright side or oh, let's ignore what's really going on. It's a purposeful look for how God's working and what to be grateful for. And that's what she modeled. Her marriage has been a difficult one. Her husband now is in memory care and every day she goes to be with him and to serve him. She has a myriad of health issues and yet she still finds ways to be grateful and thankful in them. She's the kind of person that when you spend time with her, when you leave her presence, you just feel so enriched and blessed. And again, it's not from this false positivity or this, hey, let's pretend everything's fine when it's not. She just knows how to be thankful and how to be grateful. And when I grow up, I want to be just like her because she's like Jesus. Thankfulness, gratefulness should be a distinctive of my life and it should be of yours. And it can be because we remember our story. We remember that this is our story, that God owing us nothing gives us everything, and he's good, and he's generous, and we don't have to compare ourselves to others in order to embrace and understand and experience that reality. So my friends, as we prepare to respond in music worship, as we sing about the goodness of God, will you think about, will you remember how he has been good to you? And one of the ways he's been good to you, if you know him and love him, is that he's changed your life. Is that he's shown you grace and given you himself. And in your spiritual journey, if you've never been baptized, oh, we would love to baptize you. Pastor Jerry's standing here right off to the side. He's waving his hand. For those of you who are here in person, those of you online, get on down here for our next service. We'll dunk you then. But for those of you in the room here, he's right over there. We'd love to love to baptize you this morning in celebration with a heart of thankfulness for what God has done. So let me pray as we continue to worship. Lord, you are good. You are the gold standard of generosity. And would you remind us once again of what you have done for each one of us, what you have given to us. As we sing about your goodness, would we sing to you out of our own story, out of who you are, out of what you're doing, what you've done, and what you were going to do. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
This is God's will for us, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. And again, it doesn't mean we pretend things are better than they are, but it does mean that we look for God's work. We remember the grace that he's given to each one of us. And I want to pray for you and for me that God would give us opportunity to show grace to someone this week who doesn't deserve it because of what he's done for us. Let me pray that blessing over us. Lord, at times it doesn't feel like a blessing to give grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. But then I'm reminded of what you have done for me, what you have done for all of us who have chosen to love you and to follow you. Would we remember the grace you've extended to us when we didn't deserve it? Would we not compare ourselves to other people? Lord, would we not grumble and complain? But would we choose to be thankful? Would we choose to look for your work? And Lord, we pray for your work as hundreds of kids come through our doors this week to hear about you. Many have never heard about you. And I pray for all those here who will be serving, that their service will be motivated again by what you have done for them, by what you have done for us. Thank you that you are so good to us. We love you. You are a good God. Would we remember that as we go from here? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So go now and live for him. Live out his grace to you. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.